For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish. Do you know this? But have eternal life or everlasting life, uh, whichever version of the Bible you happen to like. That may be the most well-known passage in all of the New Testament. Jesus said this in a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. He was a seriously religious man who wanted to know God and God's way, and so he sought out a one-on-one conversation with Jesus. There are only two ways that stretch out before every person, Jesus told him. It's either perishing or eternal life. It's either real life right now, the kind of life that anyone who has eyes open to see it is the life that we were made for, the life that attracts you and that draws you forward from your heart. It's either that or that kind of false existence which feels like you're imprisoned every day, locked behind bars and there's no way for you to get out, or wounded with a mortal wound that cannot be healed. It is either one or the other, Jesus tells Nicodemus. Do you know in your own heart those two different ways? Not down the road, but right now. The kind of existence that you know you were made for and the kind of existence that you just can't wait to get away from. My guess is that all of us know a little bit or maybe a lot of of both, yes? The good news, Jesus says, is that God loves us, and that's all of us, so much that he sent his son so that the way to eternal life is open for all of us, that we are completely free to walk down it so that none of us have to take even one more step down the road of perishing, but instead can be delivered to true life right now. This morning, we'll listen in to the conversation from which that very famous passage came from. Uh, Not just the one line in John 3.16, but the meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus. If You have your own Bible open to the third chapter of John. We'll take our time to see that whole conversation as it unfolds because as I hope to show you this morning, as well as that passage is heard, it's not as well understood. And and we want to understand it for this reason and this is what I want to give to you this morning so that we can find the belief that leads to eternal life now. In the beginning of John chapter 3, the setting for the conversation is important. It's evening. The day has, has died. The crowds are gone. The work is done. And it's time for thoughtful conversation. Uh, that's when Nicodemus finds Jesus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a religious man, someone who works hard at understanding God's will and then applying it to his life. He's good at what he does. He's a teacher, and he has a lot of students. He has a lot of answers. 
but he's also got questions, and that's why he finds his way to the teacher, Jesus. Do you still have questions? Yes? That was not like a a sort of rhetorical question. I expected like a rousing, yes! (laughs) Um, So he goes to Jesus so that he can speak with him. And let's see how the conversation begins. This is John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Look. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do apart from the presence of God. He opens the conversation with praise. Nicodemus had seen the things that Jesus did and he was impressed. No one, no one can do the things that we see you doing, Jesus, he says, unless God himself were right there with him. He admires Jesus, but listen. Jesus doesn't want admirers. He did not come to be impressive. This is really important. Jesus did not come so that others would think highly of him. He came because he knows that we all need true life. And the only way for us to get it is when we receive the gift that he brings. And so he does not care about the praise with which Nicodemus opens the conversation. Look at the response of Jesus in verse three. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Do you see what happened? Uh, He completely ignores Nicodemus' praise. He doesn't even acknowledge it. And that's because he's not interested in anything beyond taking down the barriers which keep people like Nicodemus from being in the presence of God. Do you know that there are barriers that are constantly uh, put up between you and God? And can you feel that distance? Jesus wants to take them down. Only the person, Jesus says, who is born from above will see God. Only the person who is willing to begin anew as if she is being born all over again because true life starts only when the old life ends. True life cannot live when false life has its grips in you. And Jesus tells this to Nicodemus. Watch how Nicodemus responds in verse four. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus has missed the metaphor. Uh, He skipped that class where you learn that sometimes people don't mean exactly what they say. He, He can't grasp yet the depth and the profundity of what Jesus is offering to him. This is an aside None of us have fully grasped what Jesus gives. It's very hard to do. It's easy to skip over what he means to give to us. We're slowing down this morning on this passage because we don't want to miss what he's going to give us. And please listen now. What he means to give us is real life 
now. And to have it, according to that famous saying in John 3.16, we only need to believe. But many of us, most of us, won't yet know what that actually means. And we want that to be opened up to us this morning. And, And Jesus could see that Nicodemus was very far away from grasping that. And he wanted to give it to him. And so the conversation from verse five down, it's very complex and and it's it's deep and it's rich. Uh, Let me give it to you in, in the most concise way I can. Jesus tells him that true life, kingdom life, the life where God is acknowledged to be the authority who God actually is, that only comes with rebirth through the spirit of God who comes from above and then renews us. Only God's act of washing away the old and bringing the new opens up the way to God. Can you feel the need to have so much of life, the old washed away, yes or no? Only when God does that and brings new will a person have life. Like the wind, which cannot be seen, but still has an awful lot of power, the spirit of God cannot be seen and has all of the power and is at work even now between you and me, God himself here in this basement with all of us, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. The spirit is at work right then to bring real life as Jesus unfolds this conversation. Still, Nicodemus doesn't get it. And what Jesus wants more than anything is for him to grasp it. And so what Jesus does, and this happens down in verse 14, is he grabs a hold of an old familiar story that Nicodemus would have known. Look at how he uses it. This is verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus surely would have known that story of Moses and the bronze serpent in the wilderness. It's recorded in Numbers 21. Some of you will know that story. God's people had been freed from oppression in Egypt. You know that story, that life was horrible for them there, and so God came in and delivered them. They went from oppression in Egypt to life in the wilderness, and it was a long time that they wandered in that wilderness, and and well, they didn't like life there all that much. According to the scriptures, one of the main problems was the food. Can anyone relate? <laughs> I'm not kidding. They literally complain about the lack of garlic. And I can, I can totally relate to that. It had become too much for them. And, and this is what they say to Moses. Get this. They say, we should have stayed there. Life was better when we were slaves. <laughs> Another aside This should teach us as disciples not to expect that when God frees us from oppression, suddenly everything will feel great to us. Real life, sometimes in the present, is harder than false life. It's always better though. God wants us to grow up. Jesus wants Nicodemus to grow up. Here's what happened in that wilderness. As they complained about the lack of food and how much better it used to be back there, and how they hated the life that God had delivered them into. And it was bad. It went from bad to worse because serpents appeared in the desert and began to bite the people and people were dying. And Moses, Moses went to God and in prayer, he, he pled with God, please send some kind of remedy to this perishing that is happening all around us. And God said to him, make 
a bronze serpent. Put that bronze serpent on a pole and then lift it up. Everyone who is bitten shall look at the serpent and live. Moses does it and healing comes just as God has promised. Does it seem like a strange story to you? Yes, I can see it on some of your faces. It is a strange story. But if we stop for a moment and think of what Jesus is making of this story as he's talking to his conversation partner, Nicodemus, it is stunning what Jesus is saying. Think of this. Just as the serpent was lifted up to save those who were perishing, Jesus says to Nicodemus, I will be lifted up to save those who would otherwise perish. Son of man is a a way of referring to himself. You know, Jesus is pointing ahead to the cross. Nicodemus does not know yet that Jesus will go to the cross, but he will know. You can read it on later in the Gospel of John. It's amazing that this conversation is not the last time these two are together because the barriers come down for Nicodemus. But think of this. Jesus will be lifted up on, on the cross amidst the crowds of people all of whom are perishing. And there on the cross, he will have the power to heal and save every single person who is willing simply to turn their attention to him and to look to him. Not just literally, but figuratively, look to him for their help. Your help, and all of you need help, your help is ready to come from Jesus. You just need to look at him. And here in verse 16, here in the conversation, we come to that passage which most of us have heard many, many times before. And here this morning, our hope is to understand it more deeply than we have before. Look at it again. For God so loved the world, Jesus says, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Here we need to slow down. And this is why these words are well known, but not well understood. And there are two elements, especially in this passage, which are very, very easy to misunderstand. The first is the meaning of that phrase, eternal life. Listen now, when Jesus said that phrase to Nicodemus, he meant something different than what almost all of us will hear. Most of us hear that promise, eternal life, and we think he is talking about heaven rather than hell after you die. Is that what it sounds like to you? Yes. Jesus' statement to Nicodemus here will sound to us like a promise about the afterlife. And that's because most of us will have grown up hearing this passage discussed as if that's what it is about. I have a vivid recollection of the very first time I heard this passage and it was very stressful and anxiety producing for me. I was a high school student and and it was with a large group of church kids at the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey. Has anyone been to that place? There was a traveling dramatic theater group that was putting on a play that was meant to show the gospel. And the characters in the play were four high school students who knew each other from church. And and the four of them had faith that was in varying degrees of sincerity. Can you picture it? Have you seen a play like this? They go out to a party. Two of them get drunk. 
On the way home, there's a car crash. All four of them die. The next scene is an emotional conversation between the youth pastor and these grieving parents' children. The lights go down. Sad music is playing. A lot of kids are crying. And then when the lights come back up, there are two kids on the right side of the stage dressed in white, surrounded by clouds and bright light and full of joy. And on the left side of the stage, there are two kids dressed in red. It's dark and gloomy and there are flames all around them. And then the narrator reads, for God so loved the world and says very simply, believe and you will go to heaven when you die. If you don't believe, you'll go to hell when you die. And, and, and most of us high school students knew where we wanted to be, which side of the stage. But listen now, this is very important. The Bible does present beautiful and scary pictures of the afterlife. It does. But when Jesus talks about eternal life here to Nicodemus, that's not what he's talking about. If he had meant to talk about that, then the distinction he drew would have been between eternal life and eternal death. But that's not the distinction that he made. It would have been, uh, okay, maybe right side of stage, left side of stage, if he had said eternal death uh, to, to Nicodemus. But instead, he says it's either perish or eternal life. Now, perish, that means Literally, to be lost. Do you know what it's like to be lost right now in life? Yes or no? Are some of you lost because of the things you're facing right now in life? Yes or no? Yes. Uh, and then on the other hand, do some of you know what it's like right now to feel so grateful every day and so thankful and so glad and to ask the question, how could I be so blessed? Do some of you have that experience? I hope so. God means for people like uh, both sides, to be all together right now, we need each other. But listen now, when Jesus talks about eternal life, just as he means when he talks about perishing, he's referring to realities that exist right now in the present. Not only down the road, but today and tomorrow. And yes, eventually forever, but eternal life, which Jesus talks about here to Nicodemus is something that Jesus knows Nicodemus does not have right now and he can receive now. And it counts now, not down the road. And, and there's a clue that's lost in English. It's the Greek vocabulary word, which is translated life here. There are three different Greek words that are all translated life. Here, it's the word Zoe. And some of you have friends named Zoe. Does anybody have a friend named Zoe? It's a great name. Uh, Zoe, in essence, is a Greek word that refers to a quality of existence in the present that transcends the natural life which we all automatically have. And, and I'm sure of it. Whatever you believe about God, you have had moments of Zoe where you're around the table with good friends and you know they know exactly who you are. And that ugly side of you that you're not very proud of comes out, but your friend smiles and doesn't reject you, but loves you. That's Zoe. Or when your mom comes over and wraps you up in her arms because you realize there's nothing I can do that will ever make her not love me. That's Zoe. Or a friend who is right there and gives and gives even though they don't receive anything in return. Zoe, this quality of existence is different than 
bios, which is another Greek word for life. That's the natural life biology. That's just what exists. And it's different than psyche. That's the other Greek word for the life of the mind or the soul maybe. But, but, but Zoe, that's true life, empowered by the divine presence. And, and this is what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus right here. It lasts forever. And you grasp it now and you never lose it. Zoe is not about where you go after you die, but how you live after you come to new life in Christ. And now let's pause here for a moment. This is what Jesus wants for Nicodemus. It's for him to come to new life, to be born again right now in this conversation he's having with him. And if he won't be born again in that conversation right there, then it will be, it will be another day of perishing right now. And that's what we'll be. Another day of being locked in a cell and there's no way that he can get himself out and Jesus is, has come to open the door. And, and listen now, here's the other piece of this passage which is so easily to misunderstand. If you're wondering, well, how does one acquire this Zoe? How do you get out of the cell? What does one do? Well, Jesus says it with this phrase. It's, it's for everyone who believes in him. That's how a person receives this life not just then, but now. Now, here, this everyone who believes in him, this will also be subject to misconstrual because of the way we tend to think about that word believe. To most of us, believe sounds like accepting an idea as true with your mind rather than as if it's false. Isn't that how you kind of think of belief, right? For example, I believe in ghosts. It means I think they're real. I do not believe in ghosts means I think they are not real. I'm tempted now to take a survey, but I won't. (laughs) We think of belief as an activity of your mind, giving cognitive assent to a proposition so that belief is either something that you have or you do not have in relationship to a particular object. And so when Christians say, do you believe in Jesus? Often we just mean What do you think about him? And that is much less than what Jesus means here when he talks to Nicodemus. In fact, it's completely different from what believe, that word believe means in the Bible. First of all, belief as a noun, something you have or not, appears exactly zero times in the Gospel of John. Never once is it a thing that you have or not. On the other hand, the verb Believe appears so many times in the Gospel of John, it's too many times to count. Belief is not something that you have, it's something that you do. Now let's stop here for a moment. I want you to think of this. If, if eternal life is for the person who believes, that's for the person who is doing something and not with their mind only, but with their whole self. With her thoughts and her feelings and her entire will. Your volition is involved. Look again at this verse, this one verse here. Notice that the word believes in in John 3.16 is followed by the preposition in. Do you see that? Believes in. That phrase in Greek is slightly different, but in a very significant way. The preposition in Greek is not in, it's the preposition into. And so what Jesus says to Nicodemus is literally the person who is believing into him, into Jesus. Now that expression does not exist in English, but right here, 
The total dynamic commitment involved in believing is lost in translation. Because believe in sounds like it could exist with an object, but believing into, it sounds weird enough to help us know that maybe we haven't yet grasped what Jesus has said to Nicodemus here. It's easier to see when you replace believe in Greek, it's pistuo, with one of its cognates, which is entrust. So, so listen to this and imagine Jesus saying this to you. Whoever entrusts himself into Jesus will have eternal life. Whoever puts her whole self into Jesus' authority, into his care, into his guidance, into his leadership, that's what it means to believe in Jesus. It includes all of you entrusting all of you into his hands. Picture this, okay? Use your imagination. A young girl has climbed to the very top of a tall tree. It's an eastern pine tree, 60 feet tall. She's made herself to the very little point at the top. And up there, she's stuck because she's only four years old and she can't climb back down. Someone sees her up there in her Sunday dress and in her flip-flops and goes and finds her father and tells him, your daughter is stuck. And so he rushes to where she is and begins to climb up, but he gets as high as he can. He passes the point where a fall would be fatal, and now, I'm think- now he's thinking, how will I deal with this? This really happened. She's too high because the branches are so thin, but he stops and reaches out and says to her, you will have to let go. I will catch you. And in order to be rescued, she has to entrust herself into her father's arms. The only way she can be saved is by letting go of whatever she's holding on to so that he can receive her and save her. Listen now. To be saved, she must entrust herself into his arms. She must believe. And that's exactly what the word believe means here in the Gospel of John. That's exactly it. Let's put ourselves into Nicodemus's position in this conversation at this point. Okay? He went to this admired teacher, Jesus, and he started by praising him. And Jesus completely ignores everything he says. Then Jesus tells him, what, what we need to face, Nicodemus, right now, is that there are two paths before us, and for you today, it's either go on perishing or instead begin walking in true life right now. And the fork in the road, uh, whether you go this way or that way, it is going to be determined by whether you yourself choose to let go of whatever you are clinging to, which, by the way, I know it's not working. Jesus doesn't even need to say it directly, but he can tell that even as Nicodemus is as religious as anyone could be, it's not working because there's only one thing, Jesus knows it, that works. It is to let go of those branches and then to let Jesus enfold you in his arms. Why is it like this? Well, there's one word. There's only one word that answers the question, love. That's why it's like this. God decided in seeing all of 
us wandering in this wilderness and going from bad to worse and suffering from wounds that we cannot heal ourselves from, God decided in Jesus not to stay far away, but to come himself in person. This is very important to understand. When Jesus talks about the the son of God coming, because of God's love. He is not talking about a separate subject from the Father. The Gospel of John opens by telling us that God came in Jesus in person, that the Son is the Father with us. That's how much God loved us, that he wouldn't stay far away from us in our need in this wilderness, that we ourselves are blaming him for when it's our own doing. He wouldn't stay away. Instead, he came right in person and allowed himself to be nailed to a tree so that anyone who looked to him and simply believed would be received by him with those loving arms that alone can rescue us. And that's, that's what's told to, to Nicodemus by Jesus in that moment. All he needs to do is to believe. Not just say he thinks something is true, but let go and enable his whole self to fall into the arms of Jesus. That is exactly what you're invited to right now. That's exactly it. To believe, again, not just with your mind, but with your whole self. So what does it look like to do that? How does one believe so that eternal life now, right now, and forever is yours? Uh, Listen, uh, to be as practical as I can. I will tell you that it does involve your mind, but it also involves your hands, and it also involves your heart as well. And so here, this is where, where we're going to land this morning. And, and we're going to land here to be uh, as, as practical as we possibly can, to consider together how we can entrust ourselves into Jesus with our heads and with our hands and with our hearts so that right now we have eternal life. And this is my attempt to open the meaning of John 3.16 in, in the way that is as faithful as possible. That's what I'm aiming at. So instead of it being a terrifying play, it is a a kind and a gentle and a loving invitation. And, and, And by the way, the reason I choose that is because that's the example of my Lord, Jesus, who is gracious and kind and meek and gentle. How do you love him, first of all, with your head? How do you entrust Jesus with your head? Belief is more than what you think. It's not less than what you think. Your ideas matter. Do you know that? The things that you think change the way you live. Genuine faith has definite cognitive content. Entrusting yourself to Jesus includes your mind, a decision to let Jesus' thinking change your thinking like this. Here, you think that having power over other people makes a person great. We all think that. Jesus thinks that becoming a servant of others makes a person great. Believing in him means choosing what he thinks when it's different than what you think. You see that? Eternal life is, I'm, I'm not going to believe that people are great when they have power over others anymore. I'm going to believe that greatness is service. That's a revolution in your thinking. That's new life. You think that, that uh, you are only valuable if you perform at a certain level. You've been conditioned to think that all your life, but Jesus thinks that you are valuable whether you succeed or fail because God made you and he knows it. Believing in him, 
in the way that Jesus means it. Believing in him so that you are on the path of eternal life right now means changing your mind so that it conforms to what he thinks rather than you. You think that we are worthy of God's care and attention, but not them. Jesus thinks that every person is worthy of God's care and attention. I, I think that tomorrow is scary because I don't know what it holds. Jesus thinks tomorrow is secure because he knows that God holds tomorrow. I think that if I work hard enough, God will accept me. Jesus thinks that God has accepted me already because he loves me just that much and has done everything to save me. Believing means letting what Jesus thinks change what you think. It starts with your head. Do you see that? So here, this is an invitation to you. Believe, and then you have eternal life. That means, first of all, something about your head. It does not end with your mind. Whenever a person's mind really is changed, her actions will follow. And that's the second thing. Believing, which leads to eternal life, also involves your hands. Imagine a person who has no shelter or food or clothing, comes to you and asks for help. And you say to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well-fed. But that's all you do. You just say it. Belief, which doesn't change what you do with your hands in that interaction, is as useless as just saying to that person is to them. Uh, but the disciple who is entrusting herself into Jesus, does not just hear what Jesus says. She doesn't just think about it. She does what she hears. Belief always means behaving differently, okay? So the belief that leads to eternal life is also something which happens through your hands. And so if you're thinking, how can I have that eternal life? You, it, it has to be something with your hands. Here, you listen to Jesus and does what he says. If an aggressor lashes out at you, Jesus says, do not hit back. Believing means restraint. You see it? When someone needs clothing, give them your coat. Believing means sharing. If a friend asks you to stay for one mile, hang in for two miles. Believing means being present. When someone begs, give what you can to help. Believing means choosing generosity. If someone wrongs you, talk it through. Believing means forgiving. When someone is weak, lend whatever strength you have. Believing means helping. Belief that leads to eternal life includes your hands as well as your head. One more, and this is the one we'll, we'll end with. Belief also includes your heart. And I know this as a pastor. Uh, so often, the very center of the suffering that you yourself will be stricken with it emerges from this very center of you, your heart. Sometimes your head can say, I, I agree with those ideas and you can get to work, but your heart still feels distant. Isn't that true for some of you? Yeah. When Jesus told Nicodemus that eternal life is for the one who is believing in him, the one who is entrusting her whole self into his hands, he meant the feelings as well. Entrusting Jesus means letting him into your emotional life. Not hiding what you're feeling from him, but opening it up to him completely. He cares about everything that's happening for you. Every one of your tears, he numbers them. Even the softest sigh reaches the ears of Jesus. And listen, listen to him now, listen. 
There is plenty which you cannot manage, Jesus says. God, your Father, knows everything which you need. Don't worry. That's what Jesus says. Believing means saying, all right. Your enemies are cruel, Jesus says. You'll want to harbor hate. Let love grow instead, Jesus says. That's a statement for your heart. You have been wronged. You've been wronged over and over again. You'll be tempted with resentment, Jesus says. He knows. Forgive. That's, a, that's an address from Jesus to your heart. Do not be afraid, he says. Not because things aren't scary, but because I am with you and you will not ever have to face something alone. I'm with you. You can rest in the confidence that comes with my presence. Whenever you carry heavy burdens, he says, come to me. I'll take them and I'll give you rest for your soul. In this world, Jesus says, you will definitely have trouble. You'll be depressed. Amen? The person who's most depressed can't even manage an amen at this moment. But Jesus says, listen, he says, cheer up. I have overcome the world and you are my daughter, my son, and I'll never abandon you. Today, today, receive eternal life. It's for you. Look at those three together. Head, hands, heart. Jesus says very simply, you trust me with your thoughts. Trust me to think when when you are lost. Use your hands in the way that I guide you. Let me, let me be there with you in your heart with whatever emotional challenges you're facing. Let me in. And then his promise, if you'll do that, his promise is very specific. It's eternal life. It's real, supernatural existence with the presence of God here with you, the Spirit of God with you to help you walk through that wilderness. It'll still be a wilderness, but it will be different. It will be real life. And that's what we're invited into with Nicodemus. All of us are invited. Here, the only question is, will I accept the gracious invitation of this loving, this loving rabbi, this loving Lord? Uh, let me lead us in prayer. God, for this exchange between Nicodemus and Jesus, which happened after nightfall, in the quiet of a one-on-one conversation, we give you thanks. We thank you that it is given to us to overhear this conversation. We thank you that the Apostle John decided to put it down for us so that we ourselves might have the opportunity to believe and in that way have true eternal life. There are so many things that we cling to, so many thoughts that we go on thinking, so many deeds which we go on doing, so many feelings which we harbor, which are like the branches at the very top of a tree that we've climbed ourselves up into, which, which don't give us anything but perishing every day. And we pray that you'd help us see how you've climbed to receive us It's stunning to imagine that the God who created this world and everyone in it would come to his own enemies and give himself in Jesus to go up on a tree, up on the cross, so that anyone who looked to you would be delivered. Thank you 
Give us hearts which are open and grateful. And then help us believe with our heads and with our hands and with our hearts. And then help us know today the reality of eternal life. And tomorrow and on into the future and forever so that we would never be separated from you but forever would be rejoicing in your presence with your people. We ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.